Welcome to Presby Speak. I'm your associate presbyter and host, Reverend Greg Klumovitz. This week, we feature our Presbytery's take on Minutes in Brief from our recent stated meeting hosted by the faithful of Doylestown Presbyterian Church. Our first go as a full-fledged hybrid meeting, roughly 70 gathered in person with another 70 or so convening online. Thanks to all who made that day possible. This November meeting was full of sacred opportunities to gather together for important business matters, fellowship with one another safely in the midst of an ongoing pandemic, and worship as a reminder of the hope and light we find in being called the people of God and Church of Jesus Christ. Among so many holy moments was the examination of Isaac Boff for ordination as Minister of Word and Sacrament, who will be ordained and installed as pastor of the United Ghanaian Community Church in a few weeks. We also elected the Next moderator and vice moderator of the Presbytery, Reverend Ted Mingle and Elder Zondra Moffat, respectively, our commissioners and young adult advisory delegate called to represent us at next summer's General Assembly, and new members of committees and commissions in this body. We also celebrated the ministry of outgoing transitional executive of the Synod of the Trinity, Reverend Susan Wonderland, our faithful attorney, Bill Bradbury, who is retiring after 23 years of work together, and recognize the 10-year anniversary of Elder Betsy Moyes, our website, social media, and publications manager, who has served this Presbytery office and our people so very well. Our moderator of the Presbytery, Reverend Ashley Rossi, then shared a report from the Leadership Collegium, which not only underscored the ongoing work of anti-racism, but also acknowledged the abundance of ordinations and installations that have occurred this fall, a reminder that the Spirit is alive and well in these sacred vocations. Our executive presbyter, Reverend Ruth Faye Santana Grace, then called attention to the significant work and development of our Presbytery's disaster assistance response team after recent hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, and more within our region, and highlighted the launch of our Lilly Endowment-funded initiative, Cultivating Enough in the Care of Clergy, as we come alongside pastors serving our small congregations, congregations of color, and church replants and plants. The meeting concluded with a service of light, which hinged on seven meditations on scripture from seven voices within our presbytery. We give thanks for their words and witness that assure us, as one preacher noted, as long as there is God, there is hope. What follows are these beautiful and relevant homilies by Reverends Juan J. Che, Todd Stavrakis, Carla Jones-Brown, John Wilkinson, Heidi Hankel, Randy Barge, and Susan Wonderland. We invite you to listen and share and find assurance that as we say over and again, this is Christ's work that shapes our collective witness. Be well, faithful affiliate. And God saw that the light was good. 
and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness God called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Upon receiving this reflection, I have to tell you that I spirited straight back to my CPM days when I was candidating. And the question before me was, using a, your favorite scripture passage, share about your journey of faith. And this is the passage that I picked. And the story that I shared was that my family had immigrated to the United States when I was a small child. And back then, there were no ESL. There was no second language. And having grown up in the Bible Belt in the Deep South, outside of Atlanta, Georgia, in the suburbs, I was given a quarter, a coin from my mother, and I went to the school book fair. It was up on the stage in the cafeteria. And uh, they were all just pictures to me because I could not read or understand English. And I remember going through it, and finally, the lady um, who uh, was the monitor for the bookstore finally picked up a board book and gave it to me and took my coin. And I took that book home, and I looked at the pages every day. And now that I remember it, it was a precious moments book. And the lady had picked for me this passage. And as I was learning to read English, I saw that God said, let there be light. And there was light. And as I began to acculturate into this country, as I began to learn English and gain an understanding for myself, the light God called everything that I saw good, even as we are broken in the darkness. A reading from the prophet Isaiah, found in the ninth chapter, the second verse. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have lived in a land of deep darkness on them, light has shined. The prophet references the people of Zebulon and Naphtali in the preceding verse to this reading. A people who have been removed from their land by an oppressing entity. A people whose history is being wiped out. People with nowhere to turn. People without a home, without identity. To these people, the prophet speaks. Says a light has come. Ponder, if you will, all of those in our society, in our world, who feel forgotten, who feel alone, who feel like the world has left them behind. Or consider those who our society, who our nation has never truly considered a part of the nation. 
always living in a shadow. The prophet speaks to the people of Israel, saying, Even in your darkness, the light of God dawns. There will always be hope, because there will always be God. To a people struggling, this light might be the only But when we embrace it, it is the greatest of all lights. In a time in which we lose daylight, a time in which we face many challenges as a nation and as a society, we know that the light is always present. That is our hope. Thanks be to God. A reading from Daniel, chapter 12, verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. The word of the Lord. This passage, though full and present in this moment, takes me back to my childhood. If perhaps, like me, you were a church baby, passages of light bring back to memory the words of the psalmist from Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What this suggests to us is that we will often walk places that have never been walked before, places that have no pre-existing footprints for us to follow, and so the only thing that we can follow is the light. Sometimes we have to remember that the light does not come from outside, but the light comes from within. And we who are wise will remember that sometimes in wisdom, silence is golden. And so if we would shine like the brightness of the sky, illuminated by a golden sun, perhaps wisdom would remind us sometimes it is better to simply be quiet and shine like the sun, than to speak and to cast darkness where there was once light. I wonder if we might consider that what we call darkness is merely a shadow, and a shadow suggests that there is already light present. The shadow plays a role in the light shining. These words invite us to remember to shine like the brightness of the sky, but also like the stars forever and ever. I don't know about you, but I've never seen stars twinkle brightly in the midday. Stars shine brightest in the darkest of night. This word to a people who were living through a dark time calls us 
to remember we are not the first to walk through difficult times. However, we are those who have the words of the prophets. We are those who have the words of our modern day prophets. We are those who have the words of the hymn writer that reminds us, as the psalmist has said, that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So then, how do we move forward? And the hymn writer says, walk in the light, beautiful light. Shine all around us by day and by night. As we walk with the light of God, we walk with the light of Jesus who is, was, and always will be, even through us, the light of the world. May it be so. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, the 16th verse of the 5th chapter. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let your light shine. It seems to me that the presumption is a command. Not an option, not a suggestion, not a good idea. Jesus is telling us to let our light shine. Do it. And the next presumption is that the light is a pre-existing condition. It already is. It needn't be conjured or manufactured or faked. Nor can we claim we have no light to shine. Each of us and all of us together have the light. And note that Jesus doesn't say, let your perfect light shine, or let your light shine perfectly. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Leonard Cohen wrote in a beautiful song, Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Yesterday, a group of us were on a call with the indigenous scholar Mark Charles considering how Christianity in this nation has perpetrated and perpetuated unfathomable racism. And there are no adjectives adequate to convey the history. And you can come away from a conversation like that overwhelmed with existential dread on this, on so many things, a combination of denial and fragility and inertia or, you can, we can, I can, seek to let our and my and your light shine. Sometimes the light will illumine things that we don't want to see, but that we need to pay attention to, hiding in the deep corners of whatever. But we need to see them. And sometimes the light will illumine things that need to be seen, but in a brighter and a warmer way. Let your light shine. Your light. Sometimes a flickering little candle, sometimes a flashlight, 
sometimes a spotlight. I think I learned in seminary that it's important to pay attention to that little phrase, so that. Why? Why? We let our light shine not for its own sake, but so that our good works may be seen. Because, as with all of this, there is an ethical mandate linked to an evangelical mandate. There is no firewall between spirituality and social responsibility. And while personal, your light, it is never private. One more presumption Jesus makes is that it is joined with others. Kind of like a movie scene where the landing strips in the little country airport go out and the villagers get together and they all hold up their flashlights so that the plane can land. Let your light shine. Let our light shine. Jesus mandates it and we live in hope that it will make a difference. And I think we should sing a song. This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Amen. Amen. The Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The word of the Lord. I confess John took two of the pieces out of mine, so I am going to quickly rewrite here as we reflect upon this. I've been thinking about Bernays Brown's work over the last month as we go into the season of Thanksgiving. She recognizes that our culture lives in one of scarcity. We tend to begin our days with the things that we lack. I did not get enough sleep last night, which is always true in my household with a little one. I don't have enough time in the day to get everything done, which I think every pastor in here can give an amen. Amen. I don't have enough money in the checkbook. We define our lives often by the things we don't have. Because we're in the constant mouse field of trying to catch up, trying to produce something, trying to grow our churches, trying to bring the gospel to our community, trying to help the most vulnerable. Simply trying to just make it some things. And yet this declaration of Christ, his two I am statements, this is the one where he says, I am the light of the world. He is bold. And he follows it with two promises for you and I, that we will never walk in darkness. And we have the light of life. And I confess, while I love this statement, there are plenty of times in life I have said to God, Fooey, I don't believe you. <laughs> in the moments of the most deepness, darkness, and suffering in my life, I have sat in therapist's office and said, I don't see the light. In the moments of shattering of my soul at the loss of both my parents within two years, I wept in my car because I could not do it in front of my daughter and said, 
I don't see the light. And what I found with this statement, and possibly true of our lights, is sometimes we can't see them until it's dark. Until everything around us has been swept off, sloughed off of us, and we're left with nothing but the reality of our world that Christ saw when he came into it, and he saw from the cross. He saw something in us that he loved, and he calls us to see that in our life too. That life is not outside of us, but within us. And we find it when we find the ability to take one more step in our lives. To take that which was meant to harm us and redeem it for something life-giving. We walk with a light ourselves that every room we ever set foot in becomes illuminated immediately by the presence of God. Every shadow, every corner that we step in no matter the danger, no matter the suffering, we bring the presence of God. That is powerful, that is bold, that is our promise and our inheritance. Amen. Amen. A word from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. I suppose the Apostle Paul knows what he's talking about here. We can almost see him making his way towards Damascus with a heart clouded by darkness, the darkness of hatred and violence and anger all sanctioned by a religiously induced fear of people whom he despises. But suddenly he is confronted by the glorious light of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and Paul is transformed. And not only is Paul transformed, but through him and others, the whole world becomes a place filled with the knowledge of God's love and justice and peace. I believe it was a former president who popularized the phrase, a thousand points of light. And I thought about that phrase a lot over the last 18 months as our world has been engulfed in the darkness of plague, the darkness of racial strife and animosity, the darkness of a diseased politics, often fueled by the worst kinds of religious impulses. And yet, in the midst of it all, I've been sustained by the example of the many ministries in this presbytery and indeed across our country where people have endeavored to bring the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to bear, Christ to bear by feeding the hungry, by providing hospitality and sanctuary to the marginalized, by reaching out to those who have suffered the ravages of natural disasters in all the various ways people have extended themselves and have brought the light of God to bear in their hearts and in their ministries and in their communities. Mm -hmm. 
I agree with New Testament scholar N.T. Wright that many of our contemporaries today believe that the great turning point of history happened some 200 years ago with the so-called Enlightenment, that great movement that has brought us so much of the blessings of science and knowledge, which today seems constantly under attack. But as glorious as that movement was, you and I know that the great turning point of history was not something that happened some 200 years ago, but that the great turning point of history happened some 2,000 years ago with the advent of a young Jewish prophet who was the perfect embodiment of God's love and justice and peace. He is indeed the true light of the world. And even though the world did all that it could to snuff that light out, it was to no avail. And the good news is that his light still shines because it shines in all of our hearts. And wherever the hungry are being fed, wherever those who are naked are being clothed, wherever people who are, are lonely are finding fellowship, wherever those who have been at odds with each other are being reconciled, we can be sure that the light of the knowledge of God will continue to shine bright. Amen. From Revelation 21, 22, and 23. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the lamp. The word of the Lord. After the 2016 Portland General Assembly, Ken and I went to Alaska for a land and sea vacation that we had carefully planned together. Well, I had planned it and run it by him, and he nodded yes most of the time. One special treat we gave to ourselves was to travel into the heart of Denali National Park for a two-night stay at the end of the road, potentially in the shadow of Denali. That time was amazing. It was magical. And part of what was stunning that I had not been prepared for was the light. One of the two nights we were there, we had an early evening rain, and once the rain stopped, the sky became bright again and was completely clear. The hours that followed were kind of like what I know here as a late afternoon, early edge of twilight, clear fall day with birds singing and sun's rays reflecting off of flowers and buildings and mountains. There was a slight warm pink tinge to the light. That's the only language I have to describe it. And though there were no rays, there was, there were, though there were rays, there was no sun 
was just light. And it was 11 o'clock at night. And I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know who to be. I walked around the camp soaking it in. Ken thought I was nuts. <laughs> it was all too beautiful to go inside. How can you go inside when the light is like that? How can anyone retreat to the cabin, pull down the darkening curtains, and go to sleep when all around outside is rich with a fabulous freshness and color and beauty that is showing itself for all to see? I imagine the glory of the Lord in the holy city must be like that, just there. Illuminating every space, showing the colors, the shapes, the diversity, the magnificence of the city. I imagine it to be so compelling that one wants to bask in it and just be in it, unable to go inside. But Revelation tells me more. I am told that the lamp for this glory is the lamp. The lamp, it's not a vessel that holds the light and keeps it. The lamp is a vessel that radiates God's glory, shines forth God's glory. And that is the Lamb, it is Jesus. That light of God's glory, which is so compelling, comes through Jesus, mediated through Jesus. I know that light. It is a light of brilliance, of love, of compassion, of inclusion, of warmth, of truth-telling and truth-seeking. It is a light of light. And though I haven't been to this city yet, there have been times when I catch glimpses of that light and that glory, I am certain, like in Denali. And I want to stay in that brightness no matter how dark my mind tells me it should be. I want to stay in what I sense is God's presence, God's glory. It feeds me and keeps me whole. Eastern time.